0: and you're listening to White Lion Fever where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been and it always will be.
1: Okay, welcome to White Lion Fever and start the show the last part of our interview with Ricky Warwick from uh, from Black Star Riders and um, I think you, Ricky, you'd be very pleased with the... Uh, Publicity, such as it is now, it's on the internet now, not not in print, and sure. uh, and, and airplay's hard to come by. But you you'd be very happy with uh, the interest in, in, in uh, It's only your second record. There are so many now super groups out there. I mean, you know, record companies are throwing people together and putting out these bands that maybe don't even play a show. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, last year we last year we saw California Breed. They put out one mm-hmm. record and and broke up. Um, mm-hmm. What's the secret? To keeping your head above the pack. Uh, well,
2: but this is the real deal. You know, we don't see ourselves at all as a super group. We see ourselves as, as, a, as a group. We've got a great gang mentality. You know, we may be getting older, but there's a great chemistry between us. Um, we get on very well. We share a common goal, um, and that's very obvious to see when the band plays live. And I think everybody can see that. You know, we really enjoy what we do. And we want to make it work. And you know, as cheesy as it sounds, we're 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 all about the art. We're all about you know, obviously we want to we we need to feed our families and, and what have you. But we're certainly um, you know our priority is writing great songs and playing great shows. And uh, it's very refreshing to be in this band because there is a chemistry and a camaraderie and a gang mentality there that I uh, I haven't had felt like I've been a part of since I was a kid. Mm. And I think that that's what makes us uh, makes us strong. I think myself, Scott and Damon. Um, you know have a very clear vision for where we want to take this band and, and what we want to do and then it's the real deal you know mm. it's not some side project it's not something that you know it gets half-arsed attention laid on it it's a living breathing thing that you know we spend you know 24 7 working on and talking to each other and trying to build
1: and robbie crane's the that, newest addition to the band i mean, I mean he's mm. been a hired gun in a, n- a number of bands um what what does he bring to the band, and and and, and is he, um, you know, does he contribute a lot to the songwriting? Uh, you know, how, how is that, how how does that work going forward?
2: Robbie's, you know, Robbie's just a, just a phenomenal bass player and a great guy. Um, you know, he's been in a couple of bands, but obviously he was in rap for twelve years, so you know he, he's he's got a good sense of loyalty, and he he came in. You know, obviously he knew the, the Thin Lizzy history that was there, but he heard the first album, and that's what made him want to join Blackstar Writers when we asked him to mm. to come and sort of, you know, play. And he came down in addition, and within 30 seconds, we knew he was the guy. It just felt right. The groove was there. He's a much more aggressive bass player than Marco Mendoza, and I think that that fits Blackstar Riders better, no disrespect to Marco, but I just think it's, it's, be, it's a better fit. You know, Robbie's got the... The precision bass down at the knees, and and uh, you know he's he's just rocking hard, and he brings a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of fire, a lot of spirit, a lot of aggression. Uh, you know, fortunately, when he joined, most of the songwriting had been done for the for the Killer Instinct. But I'm I'm pretty sure that Robbie, you know, now knowing him as well as I do, will will be coming up with ideas for the next record.
1: Yeah, and last last time we spoke, you said that you know it wasn't beyond the realms of possibility that Thin Lizzy would play one-off gigs as Thin Lizzy with this lineup. I mean, what's 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 how how is that?
2: Well, you know, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be with this lineup if that was to happen. Right. You know, I mean, I think Finlayson Thin would only do it if it was Brian Downey, Scott or and and Darren Wharton,
1: okay. myself,
2: and Damon, and, and probably Marco back in the fall. The way it was when we were going out, um, you know, a few years ago. I don't know what the likelihood of that is, is happening, and if it was to be anything, it would be one-offs. There's Certainly no plans for any tours. I mean, like I said, we're all very focused on Black Star Riders, and nothing has really been mentioned. Um, so uh, you know. That, that's where that we're at with that to be honest with
1: you. And me. you put out some solo stuff between uh records, how was that experience?
2: It's good, it's it's an ongoing thing for me, it's just something that I do and, and something obviously that I, I was doing before uh you know I joined Thin Uh but now obviously that's uh you know, that's the thing that that, that takes uh, takes a backseat to all the Black Star writer stuff and it you know, it just, I just I love to write and uh I love to keep the solo stuff going, I enjoy doing it. It's a lot of fun for me and, and something I continue to do.
1: How have you found, and we haven't got a lot of time left, but how have you found the battle for airplay? I mean, did you were you uh, disappointed with how it went, the first record? Were you pleasantly surprised? Were you surprised about the regions where you got airplay and the regions where you didn't? Um, no,
2: it was good. I mean, the first record charted in quite a few countries, but, I mean, to be honest with you, with, with the Killer Instinct, we've, uh, we've been A-listed at, at BBC Radio 2 over in the UK, which is the biggest radio station, so... Uh, We've been mail listed there for the last five weeks, which is just phenomenal. Mm. Uh, something I could never get with any other band I was ever in, you know. Really, and <laughs> and, and, and that to have that reach and to to, to be getting played, you know, two or three times a day on on regular rotation is huge. And we've we've seen the positive effect of that. I mean, the the pre-sales of the record over in the UK seem to be fairly outstanding and, and we're hoping that, that you know spreads across into europe and, and beyond yeah yeah. Um, again we're still you know still firmly we need to get out there and we need to play it and we need to you know the strength of this band is people coming to see us play live
3: yeah yeah
1: yeah and um obviously i've got to ask a parochial australian question uh any any uh any touring plans for, for down here
2: you know man i love coming to australia i really hope that we get back soon. We would love to. I mean, obviously it's logistics and, and and making it work, but certainly we'd be there in a heartbeat.
1: Right. How you toured with Kiss and Motley crew few years ago, what, what was that like as an experience? It was the end of the Thin Lizzy era. What are your memories of that of that tour?
2: You know, what what a great way to sort of bow out, you know, on, on a bill like that. I mean, it, it was funny for me because I'd first been to Australia in 1992 with the Almighty and we yep. toured with the Screaming Jets.
1: I saw one of those shows uh, at Shell
2: Harbour. Oh, um, I, I, you know, I did, that was the best time ever for me. That was just a phenomenal tour. Great guys, the camaraderie, the laugh, the mischief. <laughs> the mayhem, we were all young, and you can imagine, you know, going out to places like Wagga Wagga and Broken Hill, and, 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 and tearing it up there was just mind-blowing, you know. So to come back sort of, you know, 20, 20-odd years later, a little bit older, and supposedly a little bit wiser, it was really nice. <laughs> I mean, I'd noticed a lot of big changes in the country, obviously,
1: yeah.
2: uh, but again, had a great time, and just to play on a bill with Kiss and Molly Crude, um, you know, it was a nice way to bow out of the thin, as you think, it really was.
1: Give us, uh, before we pick the last song and finish the interview, uh, I'm gonna ask, tell us what the one of the biggest changes over twenty years you noticed in Australia. What what was it?
2: Uh, I can't, I c I couldn't actually believe how expensive everything was. <laughs> yes. You know, that was the thing. I mean, and just obviously, you know, going to somewhere like um you know, uh likes of um of 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 Sydney and Melbourne and just seeing how industrialised and all the new skyscrapers and everything that had gone up and just progress, you know?
4: Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: that was, that was mind-blowing. But, I mean, the people hadn't changed. The warmth and the humour and, and, and the hospitality was as good as it ever was and what I remembered it to be, you know?
1: There's nowhere else in the world you pay $5 for a bottle of Gatorade, Ricky. Um, okay, give us a... Yeah,
2: right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> give, us a, give us a final song and I want to thank you for your time. Uh,
2: yeah, do you want to close with Lizzie song?
1: Yes, I'd love to.
2: Okay, uh, let's uh, come on, let's just go for a jailbreak. I mean isn't you know what else is there? It's such a great song.
4: Tonight there's gonna be a jailbreak Somewhere in this town. See me and the boys, we don't like it So we're getting up and going down Hiding low, looking right to left If you see us coming, I think it's best To move away, do you hear what I say? From under my breath Tonight there's gonna be a jailbreak Tonight there's gonna be trouble. Some of us won't survive. See the boys and me mean business, Bustin out dead or alive. I can hear the hounds on my trail. All oh, hell breaks loose, alarm and sirens will Like the game, if you lose, go to jail Tonight there's gonna be a jailbreak Somewhere in the town Tonight there's gonna be a jailbreak So.
2: Star Riders here, people, and you are listening to White Line Fever.
1: Okay, welcome back to White Line Fever, episode 72. Uh, before I introduce our guest, uh, a bit of uh, a housekeeping. We are on uh, a Twitter, uh, WLF Podcast, and we are at whitelinefever.ning.com. And my guest, we're, over, we're at Fox, and I've got a uh, fellow uh, Wollongong uh, exile, uh, Maddie Russell, how are you? Are you in Wollongong Ex-Gon, Steve? We're we're not there. If if you had the choice, you would be there, wouldn't you? So we must be in exile. I'm still there. I'm hoping you come back soon. (laughs) Thanks, mate. Thanks. So, um, now, we're at Fox, and uh, I've been here did 360, but I want to talk to you about pronunciations of calling Warriors games because you called a Warriors game at the weekend. We're used to having Andrew Voss... (laughs) And uh, Paul Kent's just give us the devil horns as he's left. I've never seen him do it before. Um, So so how did you go with the
5: pronunciations calling the Warriors games? And why are you calling Warriors games? Well, I'm lucky because I've done the under-20s for a long time. So I've been given the chance to practice my under-20s names. And I had a great coach in John Ackland who coached Mm. the under-20s to premierships. And he told me a few of the key sounds and how to approach them. So Tuimo Olo Lolo here, Solomon Akata, Lisone, and Vete off the bench. Once you say them a few times, they do tend to roll off the tongue. And I've always said, when it comes to pronunciations, I will do everything to get the sounds right and give the players the names they want. I can't put accents on, Mm -hmm. but I'll ask a player to his face. It's the golden rule. Unless a player tells me, I don't believe it until I've heard it from his mouth.
1: And in reverse, so you've got someone who's who, who is a um, son of a, 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 a family that's migrated to Australia or to anywhere else, and they pronounce their name with an Australian accent, and you go back to New Zealand, as you have, and then they tell you the correct ethnic pronunciation
5: of that name. How, how do you make a decision on how to say it? I simply say to the player, what do you call yourself? and they might say a bastardised version. Mm. I say, well, what do your mum and dad call themselves and how are they going to react if I pronounce your name that way? Mm. If they still stick with it, then it's easy. The only times I get confused is when the player is confused. And I reckon I say to the players in these under-20 rookie camps, boys, you get a season or two to get your name right. (laughs) After that, it will be Petro Sivaneseva forever and not Petro Theveneth ever. So you've got a couple of years, like Matt Gillette or Matt, Gillett was right on the cusp. I reckon if it had gone another year, he would have been Matt Gillette for the rest of his life. As it is, he wanted it Gillett, so it's Matt Gillett.
1: No one ever invites me to speak to rookies, the rookie camp. Have a look at me. So, Matty, how did you end up here? I mean, I knew you calling um, under-20s. Um, I mean, this must be sitting in here in this brand new multi-million dollar building. You must pinch yourself.
5: I do pinch myself because I started in newspapers in Orange, went to WIN TV in Orange, down to WIN TV Wollongong, came to Fox Sports as a news uh, reporter, presenter, that's my bread and butter. They needed someone to do the under 20s. I've always loved league, I've always covered league. I actually called a Group 10 grand final with the great Burt Gordon flashing down the sideline there in Cowra. So, League had been in my blood, I was asked to commentate 20s, did it, one thing went to another and when I was tapped on the shoulder to call a bit of NRL, I felt blessed, yeah, yeah. I felt lucky, mm. I'm still wondering why <laughs> and to be here, well, it's the best job in the world, isn't it?
1: Everyone wonders about research and stuff and I suppose everyone's got their own little uh, habits and their own little curiosities when they're doing research and they're
5: doing prep what are yours? You got any You got any uh, prep underpants that you wear every week or have <laughs> you got any superstitions? Two great pieces of prep that I do, I've got some playing cards numbered 1 to 17, it's an hour and 10 minutes on a good run from Wollongong to Sydney right so I both hands on the wheel shuffle the deck 1 to 17 move the cards between my hand and get the numbers and names in my head so when you're calling you know who's in what number both hands how do you shuffle you're driving while do you do this don't tell the police I, I <laughs> but the shuffling's done beforehand you yeah, just yeah, simply yeah. move them around yeah, yeah, from yeah. one hand to the other the other thing is I carry a, a, a manila folder 1 to 17 down either side every bit of uh, Nugget of gold I get on a player I write mm. for that Week mm. Like in terms of Where they've come From How many games They've played So stuff you can Weave in It's all in front Of you mm. On one Manila folder um, Except for those 150 stats And pages mm. you get mm. And and so how do you decide between
1: putting in some stats and something that's a bit dry and something that's a bit humorous, you know, like, I don't know, he went to a fancy dress ball dressed as Batman
5: or something. Like I mean, you know, like what's the balance between that sort of stuff? You just want a mixture. You want basically four points on each player mm-hmm. and you want a mixture. You need to know what clubs they played for, what milestones they're coming up, what they've achieved from a rugby league point of view, but a bit of gold that, you know, mm-hmm. like he used to play... Uh, sport X or Sport Y or come mm-hmm. back from this injury, etc, etc that goes in there, you just want to mix some information so it's mm-hmm. not all numbers because let's face it, after you've had three or four cans on a Saturday afternoon, you're sitting yeah. on the lounge arguing with the kids, trying to keep the missus You don't want to tackle bus. The last yeah, thing yeah, you yeah, want yeah, is yeah. a wave of numbers but yeah. you need to give the people who are rugby league nerds enough numbers. So
1: um, I want to ask you about, and this is the thing I suppose people who don't work in the media, especially electronic media, always wonder, and they never hear anyone talk about, is nerves and how you rationalise what you're doing and how you think how you go from you don't want to think that it's trivial and not important but you don't want to think it's so important that if you stuff up your world ends so have you done have you rationalised it in your head like before you go on air do you go okay i'm just going to be myself i wouldn't stuff up if i was talking to someone in the pub so why should i stuff up on camera or do you think if i stuff up it's the end of the world have you rationalised in your own head how how, how it all works
5: when i first started calling nrl i was dreadfully nervous. I believed, what on earth am I doing here? I don't know whether I deserve this. Mm. And I quickly learned that I thought, well, even if that's the case, unless you get over that, you're going to suck. And you're never going to have a, a future in this career. <laughs> yeah. I still get nervous. Mm-hmm. The butterflies and the countdown from 10 to on air are the worst of the game. Yeah. As soon as you... Take that first hit up or say that first yeah, word. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right, but that's I, I, what I hate about around the grounds
1: because when you're around the grounds, you're only on for a few seconds. So you've if you stuff up, the stuff up hangs there for you know the next fifteen minutes
5: till they come to you again. You know? it, it is very very hard, <laughs> but I, I, it, it is an actual effort to say mm. to myself, "Hang on, this is fun. We watch yeah, yeah, sport yeah. for fun. Mm. Um, it's not the end of the world." You have to make yourself be confident, be happy, be relaxed because. If you don't, it's going to come over, and I'd be lying if I said that came naturally. Yeah, it yeah, doesn't. Yeah, 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 you yeah. have to actually in that ten to one count. I say to myself, feel happy, be yeah, be cool. Yeah. You know, just, it's going to be all right.
1: And, but but and- see, we're sitting here talking now. There's no actual reason why we should be more stressed talking on television than we are now with a hundred listeners. It, it's that's that's what I go. There's no reason. Like like if I was talking to my mate. I wouldn't stumble over my words. I wouldn't forget, you know what I mean? I wouldn't forget someone's name. I wouldn't accidentally swear if I didn't want to. So why would that happen to me on the radio or the TV? It, it shouldn't. But that's where you get yourself tied up. You think too much. You know? uh, you're you're yeah. spot on. And <laughs> I,
5: I suppose you do realise that in mm. this world, there is a world of social media waiting yeah. for every uh, stumble, slip up, every yeah. slip-up, every yeah. factual error. You just And you know you are going to know about it because they have access to you now. Which is good because it means that your performances are... Uh, honestly and genuinely appraised by a much bigger audience than you would normally have. Mm. as I say to people, to be better, it's no use being slapped on the shoulder, being told everything you're doing right. Mm. You need to be being told by people what you're doing wrong. Like mm-hmm. I, I remember a couple of years ago. Um, you know, there's a there's an expression in racing um, has a full book of rides. Yeah, yeah. I think I said um, they've got a full book of tackles, and yeah. I got a couple of tweets straight away from people saying full book of tackles at Matt Russell Fox, what on earth? And I thought, well, that's right. That's probably an expression from a But how do you deal sport. with the
1: abusive ones? Like, like some people just like
5: to poke and get a 100%. reaction. So how do you deal with that? Uh, you realise that probably that's what they're doing. their life is uh, <laughs> more miserable than yours. But sometimes, you know, you think, well, okay, they, 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 I look for a point in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I think you can, even get from the most it, yeah. cynical... Vindictive person, there can be a positive come out of it. Mm. And you think if I get something positive out of that bitter statement, then mm. I'm actually winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, exactly. And they're exactly. not so m- mind battle, mate.
1: Okay, uh, Maddie, let's talk about one rugby league issue. There. Everyone's talking about the bringing down the interchange.
5: Good or bad? Great, mm. not good. Great because <laughs> uh, I think that we need a game that caters for all body shapes. I think it does at the moment, but I think we are seeing more and more muscle bound hulks, mm. less and less skillful. Nimble, slim, agile people. I'm sure that a lot of good rugby league players are just discarded by clubs because mm. they're bean poles. Mm. You look at a Matt Moylan; he's mm. maybe an exception. You look at a few others along those lines. I'd like to see a more accurate depiction of a cross-section of society. Yeah. And at the moment, I don't think we're getting that. Yeah.
1: Okay. That's that's great. We need fewer muscle-bound hulks like you and you and I <laughs> in rugby league. Um, thanks for joining us, Matt. Um, I, I, I just want to say that we're on uh, Stitcher. Um, I also want to say that if you uh, go to wildlifeever.ning.com and click on Amazon, then uh, it doesn't cost you any more to shop on Amazon, but I get a little bit of a cut. And you can also uh, hit donate. And I'm sorry I don't have the list of donors in front of me, It's even though it's very short. So I'll mention it next time. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Here's some new music from
5: UFO. Beautiful. <laughs> Pleasure to be here any time, mate. <laughs>
0: Killed him kind. He want out guns to blaze him. He shirt ragged in the wind. I watched him delicately frazzle. His lights they slowly dimmed. Not cold at all. His smile. I've been here before Burn up that greasy wheel and go Singing like a whore You wanna hear about the honey You wanna hear about the game When you look into her darkness Baby's got a sense of aim. Not cold at all It's my demon talking over whoa, whoa. is my sugar-talking, oh, The this love that's fatal, oh, so sublime, the love that's killing, this love is the good and kind. We'll <laughs> Corey from Cinderella, and you are listening to White Line Fever. White Line Fever.
1: Okay, welcome back. Final part of our interview with Craig Songrady from BB Steel, and we've we've talked about the past. We've talked about their um, video being put on a porn site. So let's talk about um, let's talk about resurrection and and sort of the songwriting. Um, was it when you were writing this? Is this from a songwriting point of view, Craig? Is this your work or is it? members of your current lineup contributed to the songwriting or, or what how did, how did it come together
6: oh there's a, a few of the songs that I uh wrote no actually one i really wrote
1: I'm completely
6: on my own but i wrote uh most of them with a guy called uh, tony mcdowell who um he actually plays in the swanee now tony's a great amazing guitar player uh he's just had so many commitments he works with a music uh distribution company he's always Floating around and could have never nailed him down for a gig because we had quite a few gigs come up. And uh, but what? Uh, yeah, we sat down and wrote some songs and put some ideas together and um, went to a little shack on the River Murray with the ideas we had mm. and took a uh, a small like a uh, digital Porter studio and a bunch of amps and and uh, effects and set up there for about a week and a half with. You know, two tons of alcohol, I don't <laughs> much, but and, and just tons of food, and there was no one around, so we just concentrated on nutting this out. So we did the basic pre-production over a two-week period, and then the rest of it we went in to start at Mixmaster Studios in Adelaide,
4: mm. which
6: is an old SSL console, which, ironically, it was the one out of um, the old uh, Rhino Studios, which we did the first Boss album on. Right. And it's the same console. It blew us out, but uh, yeah, so originally owned by the guys from Inexcess, they were you know, way back. Mm. But yeah, we we recorded that. We went through a bit of a journey with it. Um, some people wanted keyboards on it. Uh, there was uh, bone of contention with drum sounds. I wanted it heavier, and other people, Pete at the time, as much as a genius, he said that you won't get played on radio. I said, mate, I don't want to get played on radio because they won't play us anyway. Look, Mm. if we keep, and it's something the guys out of, uh, I think uh, uh, Cornell said, um, uh, if we wrote songs to be played on radio, we wouldn't be where we are now. And I think that was with Soundgarden. And I I said, you know, like, because we, these songs have got some great dark chords in them, but you just don't, don't, you don't hear them as much as I wanted to hear them. I wanted (laughs) to be a bit more guitar heavy and a bit more, drum heavy and uh it was pulled back a bit this look it rocks you turn it up loud, it rocks but mm. live the band we I think you'd use about five of those songs six live and then we use about uh five or six of the um on the edge album and we're going to incorporate a couple of the uh, boss album songs when we actually get out and get back to sydney mm. but um when uh yeah when we play them live it's like another world people you know we did some angels gigs uh, did some gigs with various bands that have come out and uh, they've just gone, holy hell, you just sound like, you know, it just sounds like a jet engine, you know, it's just rocks. Mm-hmm. They say it's cross between ACDC and Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Soundgarden, you know, live, you know, they say my vocals when I'm singing live sounds a bit like, you know, Cornell. Yeah. What, um, uh, and Gillen they say.
1: What have you made over the years of all the Death Leopard comparisons? Do you, have you always thought that was a compliment or did it get annoying after a while? Ah, uh, look, you know,
6: it, it's, a real, it's a real hard one, that one. You know, it's, I've talked to Phil because I was living with Phil Collins out of Def Leppard while we were doing production on that and uh, talked to him about it in depth. And when we were in the studio in Canada, we were talking about a song that's on that uh, album um, uh, uh, On The Edge and it's a song called uh, Ride On, mm. and, which sounds so much like the song Hysteria. Mm. And he, we were looking at that, and I said, you know, it sounds similar, and it was actually going to sound even more similar because he put this guitar line in, because he was playing guitar on a few bits. We're in a Canadian studio, and I said, I, I want to do, let's do a favor, let's both write on a piece of paper, what song we were influenced or ripped off, truly, to get that vibe of that song.
4: Mm.
6: And he went, okay. So he read up, wrote on a piece of paper, and I wrote on a piece of paper. And then we swapped and He looked at mine and he went, oh, my God, we had the same. It was We, c- we Can Be Heroes, um, David Bowie. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, that's how I got that riff. And I said, mm. that's how I got that riff. Mm. But we didn't, you know, we we're on opposite sides of the world. We, you know, really, we knew each other from the high and dry gigs, you know, we did with them, uh, way back at Salinas. And uh, the, that was, uh, and we, we clicked them, And uh, their management actually saw us live and wanted to manage us. It was just before the drummer lost his arm. And uh, it th- I rang and talked to Peter Mensch, his name was, and he said, look, we we don't even know if we're going to band because that drummer has just lost his arm. And so that never happened. It would have been fantastic if it did. But Phil and I, you know, we keep in touch. I was talking to him in LA on, when I was over there about a year ago and he's pumped. He's like, if you see him, he looks like he's got a body of the Adonis, you know. Totally. Yeah, he's like a vegan, isn't he? He doesn't,
1: he, don't, he, he, don't, t- he doesn't...
6: Total vegan. He was a vegan way back then, you know, like way back. He hasn't touched alcohol and touched anything. But he's a a fitness guy, and they tour so much, like they have not stopped. I reckon they're one of the hardest working bands on the planet. Yeah, yeah. And they're filling out arenas. They're doing amazing stuff, you know.
1: Um. So, with um, are you still in touch with Phil Collins? Is there any sort of prospect of working uh of working with them or working with him again? I don't know. Um. It,
6: I, yeah, I, I, t- I spoke to him, like I said, about a year ago when I was in Los Angeles. We were going to catch up. Uh, but he was about to go on tour, uh, I think, with Kiss. And um, he was, you know, he's a busy man. And uh, he was visiting his guitar tech. And I couldn't make it because I was, I was actually with the voice at Countdown. It's funny. We uh, were driving around. And uh, went to, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, oh, what's the countdown? God, da da da, da. It can't think Gavin of it right Wood. now. Gavin, Gavin, of course, Gavin Wood. Wood driving in LA in his Toyota, and uh, uh, we were going to Max Merritt's because uh, there's a bunch of Aussies that all live there, and we're going to Max Merritt's 70th birthday, and that's when Phil rang. So I couldn't pull myself away from that. It was a fantastic event. I was, I remember grabbing Max and we and uh, went out to Max's V Dub Beetle, and uh, put the put the CD in and listen to my couple of songs and he put in his stuff and listened to some of his new songs. And yeah, it was great. And I thought, what a great vibe. Here I am sitting next to a legend, you know, mm. uh, Max Merrick. God, what a, um, what a, what a legend he is. But yeah, that uh, they call them the Debonaires over there. They got a Debonaires club there and a Debonaires one in Sydney and Melbourne. Mm. A bunch of uh, people have been in the industry forever, you know,
1: mm. So before- but
6: uh, as far as going with doing any gigs with leps, well I would you know, I would always love to. Um what they I spoke to Phil about it, what they're doing to keep the heads at gigs, usually the bands you know, they're paying to get on these a lot of the gigs and they're touring with big acts like Kiss, mm. um, Trick, bands that have had massive hits, so it's mm. kind of a bit harder now mm. to get on them. The only hope we have really of doing stuff is getting on those uh some of those European um, you know, rock concerts that through you know Germany and uh, Sweden. Uh, it's just what we're trying to do is we we really need representation, someone that's uh, really knows the territory hmm. and it's actually over there and can travel and been there and and actually you know uh, punt it to them. You know, and it's the way of doing it.
1: Before you go, um, you said that you've already pretty much got another record written. Is that right?
6: Yeah, got just doing the lyrics, but the music side of it, yeah, it's actually. Really, really, really good. I played it to a mate of mine the other day, and he just smiled, and he went, holy shit, you're back. You know, it's like, it's rocking. I mean, don't get me wrong, The Resurrection Hour's got some magic, and it's got some bits there that, are, you know, I, I went, No, oh, yeah, well, I'd love to fix that, but the budget doesn't allow it, you know. But uh, it is a it is a, uh, a really good song. I mean, it it's, all depends on demographic. I, So many people love listening to it, but, you know, the purest hard, hard rock heads, it's not. There are some songs that are rock, and there's mm. some songs that almost uh, got a, a Hendrix funky vibe, and then there's, uh, yeah, but it, uh, it. I think it rocks live. I know it's
1: how it sounds, and it's the way it should sound. Mate, um, can we have one more song from you? Yeah, what uh, off an old album, or...? Um... Your choice, your choice.
6: Okay. Um. Well, i tell you what I really love is uh, Lizzy Town, off, yeah. which is uh, on the edge the uh opening track of the uh um the uh on the edge album
1: a lot of great a lot did. of great australian musicians come out of elizabeth
6: yeah just about yeah. all of
1: them actually
6: <laughs> yeah yeah tons of them did i don't know i think it's cuz what the influence was back then is um bad company and free all the british all the guys came over from england and scotland like banzy floney uh you know just even, uh, I think, uh, Bon Scott was in... Yeah, he li- actually, he lived down the road from where I am now. Mm. Uh, he lived in Allgate for a while. And um, he had a song he wrote, which is about his woman he was living with, uh, with back then. And it's a guy in um, Sydney. He's got the song. And it was never recorded, but Bon wrote it. And he asked me, actually, would you like to try and record this? And oh, wow. I said, gee, it'd be a bloody honour, you know, to do that.
1: What's it called, but, uh, He used to play with... Pardon? What's the song called? I don't know the name of it. It's it's
6: about, it's named after his girlfriend. All right. Uh, But uh, yeah, it was because Bond lived in Adelaide and uh, he, I think he was with uh, Fraternity and a few different bands around that era. But yeah, there's been a few dudes, but they've come over and uh, brought the British influence with them. Mm. You know, T-Rex and Gary Glitter, the whole thing. And it it really, really stuck and and it influenced me a hell of a lot.
1: You know? mm. And um, is this is this song something that you might put on the new record, or you know the song yet, or is song he's got to play it? Oh,
6: no, I've I've heard him, I've heard him. I was playing. he was at the Beach Hotel mm. in Sydney, yep. and he had, he played it on piano to me and sang it rough and showed me the lyrics. And it's got Bon Scott and the signature on it. It's a really old piece of paper. Mm. I said nope, that'd be awesome. Um, it's something I'll um, I'll really have a close look at, you know. But mm. not sure about this album. Um, mm this album, you never know. You never Mm. know. Once I start recording this one, I'm going to do them in blocks of four Mm. and because I don't care if it takes another year, two years to finish it, but it's going to sound right again and I've got the best console that was invented and I'm going to do it on uh, a 24-track Studer A820, which is going to go on tape, so you've got that old fat sound. I'm going to run that into MIDI converters into the old Neve console and out and uh, into uh, Cubase. So it's going to have a really analogy fat sound. Awesome.
1: Thanks for joining us, Craig.
6: Thanks very much, Steve. From BB Steel. Great to be on White Lion
1: Fever with Steve Mascord. Hope to see you out in the gig soon. Okay, it's the third part of our interview with uh, Cormac Nation from The Answer, and we are in danger, badly in danger of running overtime, so I'll have to be quick. But um, I, I read in probably the most recent, th- recent article that appears anywhere on the internet about you. Um, was in a local newspaper and talked about you. You had a three-month-old son. Um, now that must be a really kind of um, a problematic thing when you're about to go back on the road. You're about to promote a new record, a new experience, a new a new thing to grapple with. I'd imagine.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's been a pretty crazy few months um, for myself and for my wife and for my for my baby boy. here, arrived three months before he should have. All right. Um I was I was born at a, a whopping one pound twelve ounces. Oh wow. Um, so it's been a long, old um, process, kind of building him up and and getting him well. Um, he's still in hospital. He should be getting out any day now. We're hoping. Um, and of course, every every uh, you know, back before Christmas, I was thinking, oh, you know, I'll get him home and and get him settled um, way before we have to think about going out on the road and promoting this record, but every day he's in the hospital and I'm thinking that's another day closer to having to having to leave him for I mean, the touring obviously I knew he was having a kid so the touring we've we've got it kind of cancelled in that I'm never away from home for too long. Um, mm. you know, I'll be back regularly, um but at the same time you know, the we has been so so uh, so poorly over the last while and, and he's just starting to really kind of come into your zone. Mm. You don't want to ever leave him, you know, but, mm. but that's life. It's it's mm. the it's, uh, that's kinda of the role we chose whenever we decided to become full time musicians and you just have to you just have to balance things as as,
1: as well as you possibly can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I read that you you got on quite well with A C D C uh when you were touring with them and played Madison Square Garden with them and stuff. Is is that an ongoing relationship? I mean do you, do you have contact with them and how how have you viewed their Return. They were pretty spectacular on the uh, gram at the Grammys, weren't they? Yeah, I know. It
3: was fantastic. Um, yeah, you know we we still be in touch with the guys, still be in touch with the kids as well. You know, we 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 kind of got close to the the whole extended ACDC family on that tour. Um, so yeah, I mean the the new record it's, it's going to be great. You know, the touring mm-hmm. is uh, to get to get those guys back on the road again is a real treat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll hopefully catch a few shows. Hopefully our paths will cross over the next year. So I'm, I'm sure it will. Uh, but yeah, I wish them all the best. They're, okay. they're still, they're still right up there.
1: That's yeah, the well, we are, we're almost out of time. One parochial Australian question before I go, Cormac. Your surname, you, you'd be aware who Doc Neeson is, wouldn't you? From the Angels, from Angel City.
3: Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, that isn't it? They were on, uh, they are on, they were on the same label as us as well. It's funny how. Uh, Funny how it paths cross.
1: No relation. No relation. He, no there.
3: relation, unfortunately, no.
1: Okay, are we going? Are we going to see you here on, on this on this trip? Yeah,
3: we're hoping to get down to Australia. Eh? Um, I mean, it's, I'm I'm constantly in our booking agency here, just hassling i trying to get on the us of tour of Australia because it's been a few years now since we've been down, mm. and we don't want you folks forgetting who we are.
1: <laughs> okay, well it's time for you to go on to your next interview. I appreciate your time. And we'll get one more song off you.
3: All right, why don't you give the title track a spin with Little Hell?
0: down yonder, but I'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore. (laughs) Michael Monroe here for White Line Fever. You get a chance, come and check us out live. We're going to rock your socks off and whatever, rock like fuck, that's what I say, okay? Come on down and rock on.